You guys know how vegetarians say grace before dinner? Let us pray. Would you stand with me real quick as we open today with our scripture reading? We're reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation today. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. Amen. Father God, we just give you this sermon. We give you this message. We give you, God, this uh, worship service today. Lord, would you come right now? Open our hearts to receive you. May our spirits be sensitive to your presence. Every worry, every anxious thought, every distraction, we just command you to go right now. Lord, we're here to receive from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and grab a chair. Thank you. We've been in a study on Ephesians for the past six weeks. In those six weeks, we've studied chapter one, and we've covered a lot of stuff so far. And so just really quick to kind of recap and bring everybody back in the same place, In the last six sermons, we've studied the author, the audience, the apocalyptic purpose and the intention of this letter that Paul wrote. We've looked at the theologically rich and loaded words like purpose and uh, 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 predestination, election, and just chosen language. We've talked about living into the kingdom of God, positioning ourselves to receive blessing and favor from God. We've looked at the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and Paul's deep, deep prayer and desire that the church would continue to grow in the knowledge of God and the power of God. All of these things are available to every single one of us who are in Christ. The scripture says that you who are united in Christ, you who are in Christ have access to every blessing of heaven. And so we've studied this in-depth idea of Paul setting up this very short, concise, but powerful letter to the church. And finally, after six weeks, we are now into chapter 2. And here in chapter 2, we begin to turn a page. 
Here in chapter 2, if you were looking at a map, this would be new terrain on your map, and it would be marked or titled as the resurrected life. The life that we who are in Jesus now have. And to start this whole thing off, Paul uses two words over and over again. This weekend was a pretty eventful weekend, and I, I got two emergency phone calls, both death and life situations. The first one was a man whose time has come to transition from this earth to the next. The prayer for him was no longer, Lord, heal, but Lord, receive him in peace. The second was a pregnant woman suffering complications, and the prayer there is, Lord, let the children live. Bring health, bring life. Two prayers, two situations, but both revolving around the idea of death and life. Paul walks us through this new scenery, this new terrain, by laying out the Christian walk with two very clear, distinct words, death and life. In just a few verses, Paul opens up in chapter uh, 2, verses 1 through 3. He shows us what the human condition is without Jesus. You know, I've always been a fan of sci-fi, Star Trek or Star Wars or all the video games or uh, uh, books I've read or whatever has always been this sci-fi fiction growing up from a young age, a young kid. I remember distinctly Vincent Bournemouth and me hanging out watching the new Star Wars Episode One movie every single weekend for a whole summer until I could quote the whole thing with him. But you know, every one of those sci-fi fictions always has the same kind of baseline thing, which is that the human condition is one to just destroy itself. Whether it's Wally, where we've just eaten ourselves out of oblivion and we've destroyed the earth and its resources, or whatever other doomsday sci-fi you like, it all kind of revolves around this idea is that the human condition is bent towards death. And Paul sets that up very clearly in verses 1 through 3, is that we are dead. There's no getting around it. We're dead. And whether the, the death is a mercy or a trial, death always hurts. This week I got news of a lady that I, uh, very young in my teens still, she was very involved in my life, and she was a dorm mom at a school that I worked at, and she would work at camps, and just very involved, loving woman, and lived a very long and full and enriching life. Touched many, many people. Ministered to many, many people. Even housed some of my family at times when they were coming to and from, traveling around. And she passed away this week. Incredible, incredible life. But death still hurts. Every single one of us was born with an inheritance of death. And Paul lays it out a little bit more, is that not only we were dead, but we are slaves. Slaves to a sin that we can, nature that we can't control. A sin nature that uh, entraps us and forces us and makes us do the things that we don't want to do. The things we know that we shouldn't do. We're dead. We're enslaved to sin. And because of all of that, we are objects of God's wrath. You realize it's so easy in our current theology and culture to become so buddy-buddy with God that we just saying, I'm not afraid to meet him face to face. But we should be because he's God. 
all-powerful, not able to withstand any sin in our lives. If we had the Old Testament mentality, the understanding of coming face to face with God would shake us in our shoes. To realize that any sin, anything out of line, literally was a life or death situation. You can read about it in the Old Testament where people unclean come and get before God and physically die and perish because God will not stand any sin. And so we are objects of God's wrath. The price for our inheritance is death. The gift that we should receive upon entering this earth is a spiritual complete death. We're dead, enslaved to sin, object of God's wrath. We've walked among the disobedient. We're under the demonic and Satan's dominion and influence. We're going to get to this later at the end of Ephesians, but there is a spiritual war going on in your life. And Satan is the mastered commander in general that's working all the things to spiritually pull you down, get your eyes off of the cross, off of Jesus, and distract you. <laughs> I was talking to our kids uh, director today, and apparently he has a feud with a uh, a Dunkin' Donuts worker. I don't understand how that happened, but he's like, I guess I'm not going there anymore. And sometimes when we fight things, we think it's a person or a face, but the scripture tells us it's not a person or a face, it's a spirit that's at work. It's so easy to go to the school system, the government system, and put a face next to the thing that we think is wrong. But do you realize that the heart behind the corruption and the evil anywhere is a spirit at work? And all of us were subject to that influential spirit in our lives before Jesus. Slaves, object of God's wrath, walking among the disobedient, influenced by Satan and living in his domain. Talk about a doomsday approach to a real bummer of a weekend from Paul. Imagine that you're driving and you see signs of saying, you're a slave, you're about to die. Up ahead is just misery. And you're like, do I really want to push on into this new territory? Do I want to continue with this trip? And then we get to verse 4, and we have another but God moment. I know we've been talking about this a few weeks, and we've been hammering it home. But hopefully you're starting to get this into your hearts and mind, is that there are things that you cannot will. There are things you cannot do. There are certain things in your life that only lead to death but God. In verse 4, we have that but God moment. One pastor put it this way, that the words but God are a beacon of light or hope in a sea of despair. But God. But God is so rich in his mercy, he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Everything changes when you position yourself, when you believe, and you are set with Christ. All of these things, the human condition of verses 1 through 3, change, and Paul flips them on their head. Instead of being dead, 
you're now alive, raised with Christ. Instead of being enslaved to sin, you're now enthroned in heaven with Christ. Instead of being object of God's wrath, you now are able to receive God's unmerited favor and blessing and love and kindness and life in your life. Instead of being under Satan's dominion, instead of being under his influence, instead of the evil spirit at work in your heart, now you have fellowship with Christ. Now you are seated with Christ. Now you are united with Christ. And it's because of this but God moment that you're able to approach a mighty God that cannot withstand your inherited sin and be able to stand next to him face to face without fear. You are able to enter the Holy of Holies or the most sacred spot, the place that you would have to historically cleanse yourself fully from to come into a mighty God's presence. Whenever you see a leader in the Old Testament who actually was able to go into God's presence, you see the people fearful. Moses, don't, don't let God come down and talk to us. You go and tell, you go talk to him. And then come tell us what he says. Because they know that they are unworthy. They know that they've been born with an inheritance of sin and death. And to become before a holy God, a perfect God, that they deserve that sin and death. And it will be administered. But God. Everything that we've just talked through, that Paul walks us through in verses 1 through 6, the original human condition, and then the but God life of being united with Christ, all of those things can be summarized down to one simple word, which is grace. I had a friend of mine that really, really, really enjoys cars. And not just cars, he likes fast cars. Anybody a car person in this room? Like five of us, that's okay. We can, we can be a church of, yeah, it's okay. There's a couple of you. Anybody that's like, I have no, I, I'm the farthest from a, a, a car person at all. Yeah, Chad, I guess that you probably don't like cars. That makes sense. <clears throat> so this buddy happened to have some good fortune. He sold out his business and inherited and came into a decent amount of money. So he decided to treat himself. And he went out and he bought a Dodge Challenger SRT Hellcat. And it's a car that's known to have an ego, a reputation to go fast and to let others know what you're doing while you're doing it. And so obviously, my buddy, he wanted to test it out. He wanted to see what this thing could do, open it up. And so he went to a place he knew that was a very open stretch of road that he thought would be safe. And he let loose. I mean, the soul left his body how fast that thing went, okay? And so very, very quickly, he was going over 150, 160 miles per hour. And he comes up to a hill that he can't see down. And he screams over this hill. And who's sitting on the side of a road but a squad car? So he sees it and he slams the brakes because he's a law-abiding citizen and he slides by, still going well over 130 miles an hour. He doesn't even try to play it off cool. He just pulls over and waits for the cop to catch up. <laughs> the officer approaches the window and he says, buddy, do you have any idea how fast you're going? 
just shrugged his shoulders and hung his head guiltily. He gives his information over and the cop walks back to his car. And he's just expecting, my friend, for all the other cop cars to show up. To take him to jail, to take the car. He knows he's losing his license. He knows that this one decision has just wrecked him. And so the officer comes back to the window. He gives him back his information and he looks at him. Long pause. Stare. Can you pop the engine? I, I want to see this thing. <laughs> and so pretty soon before you know it, they're talking cars and specs and looking at the engine. And right after that, they take the conversation from the side of the road to a diner so they can keep talking shop. And they're there and they're sitting and they're talking about all these things. And finally they get up, shake hands, and he walks away with nothing but a warning. I'm sorry, but that is just ridiculous, right? That's just crazy. Well, this uh, fictional story, <laughs> this fictional story does not even begin to tap into the definition of a biblical understanding of grace. Which I want you to understand is a man that should have deserved the full repercussions of the law was able to walk away clean. And we, born into our inherited sin selves, should have inherited the full extent of the law. And here's a couple definitions for grace as we're starting to get our minds wrapped around this. And I'll give you a couple different ones that all mean the same thing. If you have a pen or paper, this would be a good time to write it down. If you have a phone out, you can take your notes, write these down. But grace... It is receiving God's unmerited favor. This acronym is a good way to remember it. The grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. In searching, I really love this one, is that grace is everything for nothing. And it's given to those who don't deserve anything. Grace is everything for nothing given to those who do not deserve anything. And eight years ago, when I came into the youth ministry for the very first time, the very first sermon that I preached was on grace. And my definition was this. It was God giving us his best when we deserve his worst. But this is Paul's definition of grace. Ephesians 2, 4. But God's so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. God, who's filthy rich in mercy, loved us so much that he let us off, pardoned us with nothing but a handshake and a hug. One commentator says it this way, is that the word grace is probably the greatest word in scriptures, even greater than love, because grace is love in action and therefore includes it. Here we've, Paul points out that God who is rich, filthy rich, combined with the fact that he loves us, pours his grace out on us. Verse 5, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace, only by God's grace. No working that we can do, no willing, no extent, no pushing really hard to get into God's favor, to earn our way, our ticket into heaven, could do it. Only God's grace. Paul's view of God's grace is that God is irresponsible with it. 
Going back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, reading out of the ESV translation, he says, In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. God lavishly or irresponsibly gives his unmerited favor to us. If you're looking at it from an outside perspective, you'd be like, God, that's a bad way to invest your blessings. I don't think you're going to get a good return on that investment. But God lavishly pours his grace out again and again to us. Paul, in his longer and more dense theological study of the gospel in Romans, verses 23 through 24 says, For everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standards. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Unable to pay for it, unable to persuade God, he lavishly, because of love, throws his rich mercies out to us. Like a buoy to a drowning person. A lifeline to safety. All of this that we've just talked about, this word grace is the baseline, the entry ticket, the foundation of this new life, the new territory on the map called the resurrected life that Paul is setting up for us right here. And I've asked that my wife would come forward today. I've asked that we've interacted with this word grace in a very personal way in our family. And I've asked that she'd take some time and write out and come and share that with you.